This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, it's an Out Now flashback as we discuss Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Thunderbirds are go! Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction! We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Good evening. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is um, what we're, this is our inaugural episode of what we're calling Out Now Flashback. Where we take a look back flashback, at an, flashback, flashback. nice, thank you. Where we take a look back <laughs> at an at an older film that we've chosen to assess for various reasons, and we'll get into those reasons in just a second. Uh, because joining us for this out now flashback episode, where we'll be talking the birds, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, the 1963 mm-hmm. film. Uh, joining us, we have uh, Cal State Fullerton. I don't I don't know if this is completely true, but formerly the mayor of Bodega Bay, California, it's Mike Dillon. What's happening, Mike? Good to oh, have you back on. Mr. Mayor, it's great to always have you back. <laughs> I know, like, they voted me out of Amityville, you know, and so, or no, so Amity, and, uh... So naturally you went across America to the other right. little sweet I town. Hitchhiked, I hitchhiked Sullivan style, wait, is it Bodega Bay or Half Moon Bay? Bodega Bay. Bodega. Right. It's near Half Moon Bay. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah, hi, what's happening? <laughs> Glad to have you back. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we... Not too long ago, we had you on for the Detroit episode a couple weeks ago. Yes. The, the the heated Detroit episode, which obviously it's a good episode though. Let, let's talk about it some more. Yeah, let's get into it, guys. Okay, uh, but no, okay. So, Mike, we have you back here uh, for a very specific reason, because um, we are talking about the birds, and it is a, it's you know, it's not a new movie uh, for the week, uh, which we normally do on the show, but we're doing something special here. Uh, it helps that nothing of interest really came out in wide release this week, so it's like, why not do right. a special episode? So this all kind of timed out perfectly, and let's explain why, Mike. Why don't you go into why why we're doing this today? Yes, briefly, I uh, was working with. Not, I shouldn't say working with, but I um, had an opportunity to do some cross-promotion with a fantastic uh, organization in SoCal called Monsterpalooza. They're uh, one of the biggest and, I think, easily the best kind of horror and monster convention that happens biannually in the L.A. area. And they were very kind enough to offer some uh, passes to my students. And so I uh, devised a social media contest and ask the students to chime in with their best horror movie recommendations. And we had literally hundreds of different uh, entries. And because I needed to stay neutral, I asked you guys if you would jump in and uh, be the the judges. And if you would consider not only picking the winner, but uh, making it the subject of a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I just want, so I'll shout out our winner uh, is a student of mine named John Vogt. I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. If not, uh, hope hope that doesn't uh, ruffle his feathers. Ha ha ha. But, uh, but um, we'll leave it to the jokes over here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. But no. Um, I'm fly together. So me and Aaron are flocking together. <laughs> oh, uh, you're, well, you're just winging it at this point. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, congratulations. Don't get our beaks wet. John was voted, so to speak, for his movie, The Birds, mm-hmm. and that's what brings us here. So uh, so my question to you guys is, you had a whole host of uh, movies to choose from submitted by students, and I'm very curious uh, why you went with this one. 
Well, first off, congratulations to John Vogt, who actually did, um, he liked our Facebook page, as many people did, uh, which is great because uh, that means we have more listeners, and hello, listeners, good to have, good to have you joining yeah, us and listening to uh, like our page, you guys. Yeah, but uh, and John did send us like, a, hey, thanks for picking our movie, and we're, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> it's, it's the oh, one well, we made, uh, um, which, you know, and we're happy to do it. Um, yeah, for and, John, we did it Moana's though, so we sang it. Yeah, we exactly. <laughs> Um, but as far as uh, why uh, the birds, uh, for one thing, uh, for listeners that aren't aware, every October for the past few years now, Abe and I are joined um, by friends of the show, Brandon Peters, uh, Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com, and, oh. and Jason Coleman from Lights of Blue, um, to discuss horror movies in various forms. Um, we started out, we talked about the various decades of horror films, we talked about genres of horror films, we narrowed it down to um, specific filmmakers in horror, and we do that for October because we that, that gives us like basically four or five weeks of bonus content that's all about horror films. Mainly, I'm a huge horror fan, along with the guests that I have on the show. Abe also endures sometimes, because he's not the biggest horror fan. I'm not the biggest fan, but uh, if Aaron says that it's good, then I'll definitely, uh, you know, go check it out. Yeah. Uh, But, so, with that in mind, that means we talk about a lot of horror movies in general. We we talk about a lot of them. Uh, We've covered a lot of them. Uh, Sometimes in more depth than others um but looking at the list that you sent us mike we kind of went through and i managed to narrow it down to like you know about like six or seven choice i narrow, initially narrowed it down to five eight brought up a couple more and then i thought of the birds later actually um but you know it, but actually I heard, turned out that we both thought about the birds yeah we both kind of thought about the birds offhand and i already had like a selection of movies where it's like well we haven't talked about these all that much um, or even at all in some cases, so it'd be like that'd be interesting. But then, like so, for some reason, the birds kept sticking out to me, where I was thinking, well, I don't talk about Hitchcock much on this podcast, which is strange because Hitchcock. If I was to name like five directors at random that I absolutely love, regardless of if they're modern or older directors, Hitchcock would be one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Several of his films are some of my favorites ever. Uh, Psycho, in particular, is one of my favorite movies of all time very close to that top of that list uh but it's like yeah it'd be great to talk about a hitchcock movie and not necessarily one of my favorite hitchcock movies one that we'll get into but i i'm not not a fan of it but it's not one that kind of tops my list when it comes to hitchcock there's also various you know things about it that i think are interesting or whatnot but abe how about you what, what do you think about the birds as far as yeah uh out? of course yeah so again first things first you know thanks for all the submissions uh for all these horror movies uh, Aaron and I have talked about a lot of them from time to time, but also uh, it was kind of a difficult process just selecting some because I know that we had a few that we both agreed on that we uh, that made the final cut kind of. But in terms of the birds, the way the the reason why I thought it was kind of a, a unique thing to have on the list is um, sure you think of Hitchcock and you think of suspense and you think of I guess his take on these types of films, but. Uh, it's an interesting way to view quote unquote horror or just full on horror because of the, uh, I'm going to use the term mundane, but that's not exactly what I mean by the movie. It's like the mundaneness of, Oh, well birds will be attacking. It's like, I I don't know if we would ever have anything similar to that today. I mean, sure. We had the shallows with a, with a great white shark, but you know, a great white shark is kind of seen as a, uh, creature that you're trying to be uh, stay away from constantly and cognizantly whereas birds you see them all the time and here they are just uh going hog wild uh, so you're, so you're that, referring to something more of like an innocuous threat that you wouldn't right really think yeah of i mean the list like the list shark. is fantastic in terms of slashers and in terms of like uh, genre films one of the films that uh, aaron and i we've talked about on the show as well is um the strangers which i'm not a huge fan of 
not because of the content, or because of the content, but also because of just how too true to life it rings. So that's why uh, you're saying it's I, too effective. Using... That's what you're watching. Yes, right? it's <laughs> too effective because uh, I can certainly see some situations like that playing out. But um, of course, yeah, in terms of just the the way that we think about horror today is well, here's some jump scares, or here's some slasher films, or whatever the case is, or blood and gore. Um, and this one, while it does have some scenes of violence and does have some bloodshed in it, but again, the, the subject matter of birds attacking or just uh, having this huge, you know, slew of Man strange events occurring around these birds is something that I was like, that's that's an interesting pick. So that's it, really uh, my my part of the genesis of my thoughts. It's interesting that you kind of phrase it that way, because like you're right on the one hand. We don't associate birds as necessarily being hostile. They're, they're very kind of everyday, but not only because they don't, they seem kind of, I don't, I don't want to say they're friendly, but they're not certainly, you know, going to provoke that much fear and danger on a daily basis. But the fact that they're able to suddenly coordinate so effectively is like another element of, of surprise and, and kind of the unexpected aspect of the film. But I'm also curious because since you mentioned the strangers, that's Brian Bertino's Strangers, right? With like yes. Liv Tyler, Liv Tyler yeah. and Scott Speedman. Yeah. And Scott it's, Speedman. Yeah, it's interesting that you would kind of invoke those two films in, in the in the same uh, sentence, in, insofar as both of them are about very random acts of violence, right? Um, Strangers is the one where they they don't give an explanation for why they've attacked this house. They just say, yeah. "Well, because you, because you were home." Right. With the birds, also the the what's so curious about this film is that the impetus for why the birds are revolting against uh, uh, humankind is left completely unexplained. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm misremembering something. No, it is. It's it's unexplained. I mean, there's there's themes you can read into it, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah, as far as like, you know, there's no room. There's no there's no scene where like a scientist comes in and says, I figured it out, guys. Although I'd, I'd certainly <laughs> entertain something like that. But, uh... See, that would take away from the movie, actually, if you did have yeah. a scene like I'm, where the scientist. Obviously, like, I'm kidding. Because I mean, yeah. it's a migration pattern. It's if, like, well, now you've ruined it. If, Ro if Roddy McDowell came in with a sample size from Earth, it's like, I got it. If Roddy McDowell came in, I'd be like, applause. <laughs> <laughs> so the, in this version of the birds, there's an applause, there's an applause break. It's like Kramer coming in on Seinfeld. It just like everyone stops. <laughs> and people can't read lines while the applause is still going on. <laughs> or like there's a there's like a queen bird, and as long as if you can kill the queen, all the other birds will, you know, mm -hmm. calm the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. So Tippy yeah, yeah. Hedren like has a hand grenade, and like Rod Taylor's driving in the car, and he's like, throw it well, now. This this these no, movies sound amazing. Tippy Hedren, Hedren gets in the power loader, right, and takes the queen bird and like blasts it out of the airlock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I've seen that version. That yeah. that's uh that that was the original version that Alfred wanted, but you know, he felt Lizzo was too ahead of its time. Hey, let's respect the man. Freddie, please. Oh <laughs> my apologies, <laughs> Mr. Freddie. Uh let's let's stop this. Let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's get into I, uh, I, I think it, so Mike, does that answer your question? Do you get why we've uh, essentially chosen yeah. the words? It, yeah, good Be choice. Because we wanted to. I think that's what we're kind of getting to because we thought it yeah. sounded cool. Why not? Uh, why not do And I think it is something different for the podcast. Obviously, we talk about a lot of modern movies, although our commentary tracks do have us going back various decades. We just did a Bonnie and Clyde commentary track for anyone that wants to check that out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is a, this will be a fun one to talk about. And I want to set up some. We're basically just kind of, kind of assess the movie, go over it in various forms. We're not going to do like a whole. 
you know, go over the plot or whatnot. We'll, you know, hit various... Or like a scene by scene, we're not going to go... Well, obviously we'll hit, you know, around the topic, but ideally ideally you've seen the birds, because we're not going to hold back from, quote-unquote, spoilers for a a classic film from 1963. Um, But I want to set up some context uh, for the birds as we're kind of going over it. So as I mentioned, the film is 1963. Um, It's directed by Alfred Hitchcock, of course. Um, It's written by Evan Hunter, based off a novel by (laughs) Daphne du Maurier, um, who is a 20th century author. She wrote a number of things, including... I just had something written down, too. Don't Look Now, I believe, is one of the... Th- or Rebecca. Rebecca was one of their... Uh, yes. Um, and Evan Hunter, the screenwriter, he um, he's more known as, a, as an author, as a novelist, where he wrote a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of detective fiction under the name Ed McBain, which I thought was interesting. And, Ed McBain. And he... Uh, Previously, before even this film came out, yeah, um, Akira Kurosawa adapted one of his novels, High and Low, uh, starring Toshiro Mifune, of course. Uh, so I thought those were little neat facts uh, to go over. As far as where Hitchcock was at the time, Birds comes right after Psycho. Psycho went in North by Northwest before that. So Hitchcock is on kind of a roll. I mean, he was kind of... He's on a roll. He was on a roll. He was, there was kind of some... Uh, Jimmy Stewart and Vertigo, like, that did not do well at the box office. Um, and Hitchcock kind of took a new direction. He got Cary Grant involved, North by Northwest big you know big hit at that time psycho came out huge hit at that time so he does the birds um <laughs> which he, he finds uh tippy hedron in her debut performance to be his latest you know blonde attached to a attached to one of his uh, suspense films and here we are we got we get the birds which is this kind of suspense thriller that spends the first hour as this kind of screwball comedy melodrama before all hell breaks loose <laughs> and birds start happening and uh yeah so I guess as we get into it, I want to get some kind of general thoughts on the birds. We've all seen the film. What the, so yeah. like, like, what's your what's your general opinion of the birds? Well, um, let me. I have an answer to that question, but I think since you outlined a little bit of context, uh, I'll I'll kind of respond in kind, which is, you know, my response to Hitchcock and his career mm-hmm. is that um, I mean Hitchcock is really he's interesting. He's a little hit and miss, but he's always interesting in the beginning. So like even hit some of his silent films and then off into the 30s and 40s. And he is unstoppable in the middle, yeah. right? When you're in your rear window, Vertigo, Strangers on a Train, uh, North by Northwest, all of these are, you know, and Psycho. These are, these are really, really amazing films. And he's garbage at the end. I think his last few films are just really, really embarrassing. Frenzy has um, moments. I think Frenzy and Torn Curtain has some moments. But, uh, yeah. they, they, have, they have moments. I fa- think Frenzy, family plot is not, not very good. Yeah, I, I think Frenzy <laughs> is... is uh, you know what? I, I have thoughts on Frenzy that I think tie into some stuff going on in this film um, that I'll maybe table for later. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he's still... He hasn't completely lost his touch in some places you can point to some of his like very very late films and say like yeah this is hitchcock doing his thing but on the whole there was a real steep dive toward the end and i think um maybe birds is not necessarily his last good film but i think it's arguably his last masterpiece Hmm. Yeah, because um, I, I think Marnie's, which is the year after, it also has to. I think that's a really yeah, good movie. So, yes, I would call it the. Actually, yeah, I'm 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 really on the fence about Marnie. I have friends who swear by it, and and by friends I mean like fellow film studies scholars who have used it in classes to illustrate like concepts of psychoanalysis and Freudian approach approaches to interpreting film. And so I I know people who really get a lot out of Marnie, but it's not a film that ever did anything for me. And so I think Birds is. Like you can kind of put a pin in that one and 
there's like a everything after birds i think in in how hmm. i chart, in how i kind of like chart my my hitchcock history um which isn't much i mean there's only like five films after the birds <laughs> like it's not, yeah it's after, not... I mean, after the after the birds i just kind of i would call it like the descent of of hitchcock the kind yeah. of twilight years um and a lot of that i think has to do with the fact that um by then censorship isn't being enforced quite as much uh and so a lot of his really perverse, dirty old man tendencies are just right there on the screen. And Frenzy is a perfect example of that. Frenzy is a really grotesque and icky movie that just kind of shows like Hitchcock's tendencies toward misogyny and, and kind of sexual deviance that was so interesting because it's repressed. And he finds creative ways to work around the censors uh, in, in some of his earlier works, which, and once those, those restrictions are lifted, you see Hitchcock and all that vulgarity, and I think Frenzy is kind of the, the 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 pinnacle of that, which is why I have kind of kind of a revulsion to it. Um, it speaks Birds to why still... he's always interesting, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Birds is is the last film that to me is interesting in really kind of restrained, fascinating ways. I I'll totally give that to Marnie as well. It's just not I'm not a particular fan of the film. Um, I also don't think Tippi Hedren is has much range as an actress. And I think it really shows in Marnie. In Birds, she doesn't have to possess a whole lot of range because a mm-hmm. lot of it is kind of reacting to a crisis. So yeah. uh, I think she is maybe one of the weaker links in Marnie that kind of keeps me from fully enjoying it. When you're going so, up against Sean Connery, uh, did yeah, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, it shows. But yeah, that's kind of how I how I place Birds within my broader understanding of Hitchcock. Gotcha. How would you how would you how would you characterize it? Uh, just the movie itself. Just to answer Aaron's question. Uh, you know, so I've seen it a bunch of times, and most recently was a couple of years ago. And my reaction to, I think I must have seen it the first time as a teenager, and then maybe a couple of times I encountered it in film school uh, as I when I was a student. And liking it, thinking it's amazing. And I remember the last time I saw it being really unimpressed, actually. I remembered my main reaction being the bird scenes when they're attacking are phenomenal mm-hmm. from a technical standpoint, um, from a suspense standpoint, in particular, the jungle gym scene, uh-huh. which we can talk about in detail. is like the greatest thing possibly ever on film. It is just incredibly well done, but it's like punctuated by a whole lot of boring there's really long stretches of family drama and melodrama and like meet cute stuff. That's, that isn't just kind of, you know, it's, it's not that it's a distraction from the main crisis of the birds, but it's just like genuinely boring. Um, that's, that was my reaction anyway. And I just, I didn't see the two things gelling very well. Mm-hmm. So that was and, my, yeah, my latest reaction to yeah. the last time I saw it. And then to answer your question, Aaron, I mean, my impressions of the birds is um, I remember I watched it in college and uh, it's mostly because people were like, oh, this is a classic. I can't believe you've never seen this. And uh, I, I enjoyed it probably because I watched it with a, with a group of folks. And what I what I really like about it is that there are stretches of or there are scenes where, for instance, there's almost no dialogue. It, it's literally like just reaction shots. And the, the scene that I think about is um, is uh, the old woman who's going to go. Uh, to the house uh and then she sees the guy with his eyes pecked out right yeah, yeah and that that's literally like no dialogue maybe a little bit with the guy who greets her out in the front but even when she's a 
you know, frightened and, and scared, she doesn't make any noise. And she just runs out of the house, gets in her car, and just drives over to uh, Tippy's house. And there's there's literally almost those scenes fascinate me. Just the the way that these directors and these movies from pre like nineteen whatever nineteen ninety um, are able to create scenes that are maybe a minute or two minutes long, just showing you what people are doing to advance the story. That that always amazed me about uh, stuff like this or stuff like uh, as we'll do more flashback reviews. Uh, those flashback movies so the impressions that i always have are i i kind of laugh whenever the birds attack because it's pretty clear that you just have prop guys throwing birds at these actors or actresses and i always love the background green screen of you know clearly there's there's uh more birds than are actually in the in the screenshot but with that being said i've always enjoyed seeing just how how these people would react in this 1963 movie and uh, just really going full force with it so i've always i've always had a, a really good uh, or I've, I've always respected it for the filmmaking again for scenes where there's no dialogue kind of just extended um and also just for i'm gonna say ridiculous but i don't mean that i for what a ridiculous concept that it is of just let's i'm gonna throw some birds at you you're gonna have some blood and then i need you to react and again there's no real reason why there's these birds are attacking especially when they start attacking heavily on a girl's birthday i'll i'll let before i get to my thoughts on the bill i'll add a couple things because i did the the bird effects like there were there's some you know revolutionary techniques at the time. I mean, Walt Disney Studios animated a lot of the birds in those sequences. There were birds tied to actors to help them do it. It wasn't just fake birds. Like, there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that, that went into making yeah, this yeah. as effective Yeah, absolutely. As the animation, you're right, because the, the scene where they're sitting in their living room, uh, like the, the residence or whatever, uh-huh. and then those little tiny birds come out of the chimney, I was like, th- that looks really good, you know? Uh, I know that that's not real, but it certainly... I was curious if they just really let loose a whole bunch of those little small canaries or whatever they are and filmed that and then just, you know, uh, either rotoscoped it or layered it onto film. There's a lot but of, you're right. Yeah. It does look good. There's a lot of creative. Yeah. I mean, it, it was up for a, a special effects award uh, at the Oscars. Well, so yeah. For, yeah. There's also, there's also uh, scenes or shots that we recognize as effects and they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit dated, but we still kind of are crazy impressed by Hitchcock's innovativeness in terms of like, there's one, um, it's like right after there's an explosion at a gas station and we yep. cut to a really wide shot over the town, like an aerial view. Yeah. And then we gradually see the birds kind of float into frame as they're all like diving in for attack. Yeah. Am I, am I remembering this correctly? Yeah. Yeah. And what, yeah. It's like, it's, it's a, what we would now call like, that's a trailer shot, right? That's a money shot. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> like such a great shot even though the birds you can you can tell at this point the superimpositions are pretty obvious but even even if we you know recognize dated special effects we're just kind of like this is a this is an awesome shot yeah yeah it, it, i i don't know i i, I don't want to venture to say that it's one of the first of its kind or anything like that but there's like real innovation going on and you can see where like modern blockbusters have kind of drawn a lot from this oh, for sure right I also yeah. wanted to note, Abe, you, you mentioned like you know kind of scenes of silence and people not talking to dialogue. I think what helps that out is that there's no score in this movie. Um, it's you know it's good point. It's completely driven by sound effects. There's no and uh, Bernard Herrmann 
you know, a frequent collaborator of Hitchcock. He's actually credited as a sound consultant, which I found interesting. Uh, but yeah, there's no actual like music. There's no music. There's no compositions made. Through. It's a completely uh, scoreless film. Um, so I think that does that, that gives further emphasis on you know what the the effectiveness of seeing you know scenes that are played in silent with very minimal dialogue, only hearing the sound effects of birds, um, mm-hmm. and you know other ambient noise, what have you. Um, although yeah. although yeah. there is one really clever use of uh, like a diegetic yeah. uh, song, which is a, the children singing a, like a nursery rhyme yeah. while she's out smoking, and and again it's, it's the, jungle the, jungle scene, the jungle gym scene, the jungle gym scene, which we'll get yeah. to, yeah, which is like, awesome. Really, yeah, um, as far as my thoughts on the birds go. Uh, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I think I've established that already. Um, I've watched Hitchcock films a lot <clears throat> throughout my you know life. I credit my mom for that because I've watched many films that ages maybe when not the best for some people, but I certainly enjoyed um, seeing you know growing up watching Hitchcock movies. Um, the Birds is one that I haven't watched that much, honestly. It's not one of my favorite Hitchcock films. Um, I I certainly like it, and seeing it the first time. Um, I remember being intrigued by it conceptually as like, okay, Alfred Hitchcock made a movie where it's just birds attacking people. What is that like? And obviously on a visceral level, you can get into that, especially once it actually starts really happening. You you know, the master of suspense delivers when it comes to seeing birds attack helpless people. And there's a lot of creativity going on, the filmmaking, what have you. Um, Mm -hmm. Watching it more recently... Um, I watched it again today. I'm not going to get to that yet. When I watched it, watching it more recently, it's not one that like holds a lot of. Uh, it doesn't hold up a lot to me as far as what it's doing. Like it, sure. It, like it, I think the the work being more familiar with disaster films now, or at least you know then like in the '90s and even you know following kind of '70s stuff. That I'm not that old, but I've certainly seen things like Poseidon Adventure, Airplane, what have Airport, what have you. Um, but like. You get an understanding of how these films work, where you spend a long time doing developing the characters um, to varying levels of success, and then you let all hell break loose. And that's what The Birds does. I mean, this is a prototypical uh, a disaster movie of sorts. It's a it's a mix of like horror and disaster and nature attacks kind of things. I mean, it's like Jaws and airports combined into one movie, minus you know the giant cast of stars. You just have kind of a couple main players. Um, and looking at through, looking at it through that lens, it's just like Mike you were mentioning. It, it does kind of have a uh, a muted feeling to it. Where it's like okay, all this stuff is happening. We're seeing some various interactions or whatnot. We're getting a feel for what, but like the bird stuff is what's really you know interesting, both visually, obviously, and also in terms of yeah, just in terms of birds progressing the plot. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with both of you guys that yeah, whenever they're just talking about their lives and whatever else, yeah, I I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm actually more interested in. When these birds are going to attack. Now, watching it today, um, I'm not going to say my opinion like shifted all of a sudden to like, oh my god, it's a masterpiece. I didn't realize it until now. But I have, I did find myself appreciating more of what it's doing with the characters. Uh, besides mm-hmm. the bird stuff, getting the whole, I mean, the 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 plot involves like Tippy Hedren plays Melanie Daniels. She's a socialite who's kind of a troublemaker. Um, yeah. There's this lawyer who's after her for various reasons but they they interact he leaves she follows him um to basically to play a prank on him but also to because she sees him as a possible suitor so they can maybe you know fall in love and what have you and it's this kind of it's, it's this exaggerated screwball comedy plot honestly um that leads until you meet more characters and whatnot before you get to the bird stuff but like watching mm-hmm. it besides rod taylor to be hedron uh, jessica tandy is in this movie as rod taylor's mother and another actress, Suzanne Plachette, who plays Miss Hayworth, the teacher. 
at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some good performances here that I was really enjoying. I think the there's a kind of the, the way you're seeing Tippy Hedren is that she's a troublemaker, but it's neat to see those characters getting that right away. When they meet Tippy Hedren, they kind of see who she is right away, and it's neat to watch. The, I found it neat, interesting to watch his interactions. I yeah, she's of, a boat thief. Yeah, I was kind of I was looking at it and thinking like if you're in a movie theater and you're seeing the bird scenes, you'd have people being like, oh, and like, you know, reacting. I was kind of looking at the early portions as like having like those type of reactions with the way certain characters say lines to each other that are like essentially like, you know, kind of dissing snarky. them or snarky yeah. or being snippy at them. And it's like if you think Jesse, Jessica Tandy is having an attitude and driving Miss Daisy or Friday Green Tomatoes, watch her in The Birds. Like, she's given some major side-eye to Tippi Hedren in a lot of scenes, <laughs> and it's I found that to be quite entertaining. Like, it was enjoyable to watch that. So can I ask you this? Uh-huh. Do, do, do you find the Tippi Hedren character likable? I find her likable as far as I get why the movie wants me to like her. If I was yeah. to kind of separate her from everything and just look at this person as who she is, it's kind of, it's you know, it's very presumptuous on her part that she could just kind of, like, go all over town, get whatever she wants, and, you know, Right. She, she is just, like, rich, bored, socialite with, like, too much time on her hands and too much... Like, she's, like... Like, the term we would use now is, like, she's a one-percenter. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I think she can just kind of like run and do anything. And, I'm, I mean, I feel like a big part of... Okay, so I, here's my question, since you've yes. seen it much more recently. Do they explain that the bird pandemic, birdemic, which is another... Film you isn't guys that, re- isn't that like a, a that, that is a bad, it's a bad movie that has to be yeah. in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do do they explain at any point that this is going on globally or is it just the town? So there is there. The, 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 I've just watched it. There is a scene late in the movie when Rod Taylor is getting the car for them to leave. Um, um, that explain. He listens to the radio and he says uh, it's it's talking about uh, Bodega Bay is the um, the you know the epicenter of this, but there are nearby areas that have unexplained attacks happening so the, okay, the, the, implica- so, the implication is that it, it's still going it's, like it's it's, it's, it's happening uh, or that it's, it's spreading happening. it's spreading essentially it's they've okay, stopped so, they as the movie ends they've kind of the birds are just kind of there but yes there have been other attacks well so the reason i'm asking that question in tandem with this question of whether we're supposed to find the tippy hedron character likable is because I wasn't sure, like, does she bring the plague with her? Like, is so that's that an interesting that question? Because, because uh, there's the scene in the restaurant where she gets saved by Rod, mm-hmm. um, and then the woman confronts her, right? Because everyone's silent. I love that scene because there's all this side eye going on, mm-hmm. and then you have Alfred Hitchcock telling this actress to stand up, start crying, and is that make the, this I, monologue of like. Everything yeah. happened. It, it was you. Like, who are you? And that's a really interesting question to start asking of, well, is this a metaphor for, again, the one percenters? Or is this a metaphor for, hey, look, you, you, you can't have everything you want. Like, you seem to be going around town as this person, as a socialite. And, uh, you know, things are going to happen to you. Just because you, you are who you are doesn't mean that you don't have problems like the rest of us. And here's the manifestation of those problems. Or if you want to go Paul Thomas Anderson style, this is like in uh, in any one of his movies, but more specifically, I'm thinking about uh, Magnolia, where it starts raining frogs and and John C. Riley is uh, is there and everyone's there actually. It's a convergence of all the characters. Yeah, yeah. Where is this a meaning of you know some some sort of outside biblical force 
that says this is uh, this is your justice or your your sweet rewards for being such a a bad person the the scene you're referring to in the diner where Teppy Hedren's confronted by a woman who's accusing her of bringing them with her because they don't know her. He's like, who are you? Why'd you bring, you You yeah. did this, you brought this here. That's, essentially that's putting like the subtext as text. Like it's throwing it right out there in your face. It's like, yeah, Tippi Hedren's the reason that this seemed to happen. She, there weren't birds attacking before Tippi Hedren came to Bodega Bay. Um, yeah. But the, if you want to like roll it back, I mean the first, I mean the movie's called The Birds for one thing, so you know it's going to be something involving me i mean you walk into you know what you're you're getting into and the one of the yep. first shots of the movie involves tippy hedron like crossing the street in san francisco and there's like a bunch into a bird shop no less um and there's, yes. a bunch, there's a bunch of birds kind of in the air scattering around each other like acting you know acting up uh they're not attacking anybody but there's certainly a presence of birds in the area as the movie goes on you know the the bird attacks get more severe as they do and what have you and, it, and but it does seem to kind of center around tippy hedron in particular and yeah. well yes yeah ab pointed out the idea that is it this the fact that this kind of wealthy woman is coming to town is the, the metaphor for that specifically um another way to read it is that tippy hedron's character um uh melanie uh, she's she's a liar like she lies she lies a lot to get her way she causes trouble she plays pranks um there's this kind of notion that the the she's being punished for her years of deceit in some way. Yeah. Uh, she has this reputation for being a, you know, a, a partier who gets into trouble and g stirs up things because like her mother left her and her daddy you know, like, gave her a bunch of money and whatnot. Like there's, there's a, there, there's certainly an idea that seems to associate these birds with Tippy Hedron's behavior as a, as a person. So Mike, you asking me if she's likable. I mean, again, obviously I, I do think she and Taylor have good chemistry. I do think that kind of works as I watch the movie. I think they, they work together on screen. They have a good kind of rapport with each other. Um, mm -hmm. Is that enough to kind of redeem this character? I don't think she ever, I don't, I don't see her do anything. That's, that's horrible. I mean, the worst thing she does is what to drive and ask for where this person lives. Like she's not doing anything outright mean. Um, so it, it's hard to see her as unlikable, but it's also hard not to dissociate her from the fact that birds are literally killing people because she arrived in this town. Well, it's, it's yeah. self, I mean, I mean, maybe, they have to be so literal that, you know, the birds are, have all decided collectively to punish Tippi Hedren. Um, but also, I mean, if you look at it broadly, just I'm just thinking about um, conversations we've talked, uh, or we've had before about, like, horror movie tropes involving, like, unexpected or unwanted visitors mm -hmm. that, like, disrupt the balance. Like, we talked about this mm -hmm. a lot with um, It Comes at Night. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's so very much about this uh, outsider, right, entering a town and she's wealthy and sophisticated and beautiful. And there's a whole lot of shots of just like men ogling her, right? She's completely out of place. Yeah, she's, she's wearing like she's a big coat. She has fancy yeah, clothes. She's, yeah. She's urban and sophisticated and the, t the town itself is kind of quaint and rural. And so like maybe there's a way to read it in terms of like she's this outside kind of virus that's come into this town and the birds kind of erupt in a way to kind of restore a sort of equilibrium of some mm. kind. Um, maybe there's, that's a symbolic reading that's, that's available in the film. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of kind of the, the context around history at that time. It's what mid early, early sixties. I'm trying to think of what it, what it would associate with um, as far as. Well, you mentioned uh, probably, probably that we should leave the Vietnam war. That's, that's really what it is. <laughs> well, actually, you mentioned um, you were tying it to like the disaster films, so, so like airport and. Uh, I was saying it was like a proto disaster oh. film, essentially. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah that's but, what I'm saying. but also i mean you're you're referring to like a spate of films like towering inferno and uh poseidon adventure and things like that i i wonder if this is more like given its date of release maybe closer more to like sort of cold war era apocalyptic films yeah rather it, than it's... i mean it can be both but i feel like that's that element is there as well, not not just in terms of it being kind of the symbolic apocalypse, but like the randomness of it. Yeah. Um, I feel like the those family melodrama scenes and some like the meet cutes and the romantic elements are almost set up deliberately and so slowly just to toss them aside later, which feels like it addresses kind of a Cold War era paranoia that like all of your petty little romances and how you feel about each other and whether you're going to be a good fit for this family None of that really matters when the apocalypse arrives. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, there's plenty, of, like, there's plenty of Hitchcock scholars that I'm sure have delved further into this than we're going to in you know this broadcast. Right. Um, but I, I mean, and I'm not denying that that's prob you know that could be a factor as well, or at least you know subconsciously in, my, in the minds of the writer, even Hitchcock. Um, it's just obvious. It's obviously not as overt as something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So it's just like. <laughs> I can I can see that as a possibility just because it's a movie of this time and that's a prevalent a prevalent theme especially in thrillers, um, but it, it's it's like I I it's hard for me I mean also just I'm not from this era so it's like hard for me to kind of don't lie you're a time traveler <laughs> it's hard for me to register these things <laughs> that clearly when it's less direct and that does seem more tangential than other films that also address kind of Cold War paranoia. Yeah, I mean, it also, I mean, I mean, you mentioned liking Psycho. It, it's, it's interesting in how, like, I, my memory is just the first act and several scenes, like the talking scenes, right? The, like, the family get-togethers, just being really just slow and slower than they need to be uh, to the point of being boring. Again, even though the, the, the bird attacks in between are really terrific. And it's interesting that the film sets up these, like, romantic rival, rivalries and tensions and things like that that completely take a back seat once the birds start attacking, which is kind of interesting and genre defying in how it just tosses things away, which kind of reminds me of how Psycho does begin as a heist movie and then just mm -hmm. completely abandons that by killing off its protagonist after like what, 40 minutes or something and then becomes something completely different. Completely different. Yeah. I, I Pop think... quiz. How much money did she steal? It's like $7,000 or something like that. Psycho? Mm -hmm. is yeah. And Psycho. Or is it much more? It's more. Sixty thousand dollars or something like that. Is it yeah. forty? It's something I thought like it was forty-five, but uh, it could be sixty. Anyway, but well, you don't know. Wait, you have an answer? <laughs> Come on. I thought it was forty-five, but when you said sixty, I was like, well, that sounds kind of right too. It's, it's, uh, it's forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand. It took you. me a second. Okay. Anyway, what you're saying about psych? What you're saying about psycho? Um, I, there's obviously there's an immediacy to that half of the plot too, which is, I mean, compared to the birds where it's like the drama is whether or not this, you know, Veronica Cartwright's going to have her birthday party. I mean, psycho you're, you're really in tune with Mar you know, Marion's um, journey to escape this. And if she's going to get away with it, if you're supposed to side with her, you meet this guy, Norman Bates, it's kind of this calm period. It was like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other elements play that keep that, you know, you keep yourself invested in everything going on because, you frankly don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where this is going, but it's exciting to watch where the birds is. Yeah. It's, you know, as I've mentioned, it's has a lot of screwball elements to it and, you know, f family drama going on. Um, and, and Hitchcock, I mean, he's, 
for the majority of his movies, they're all, you know, he's, as I mentioned, he's the master of suspense. He has movies that have a sense of immediacy to them as far as what the setup is and how we're handling those. Uh, the Trouble with Harry is like an outlier because that's like a dark comedy um, where, you know, it's not. Well, he has he has kind of a dark humor streak throughout oh, yeah, a lot all, of it. Yes, all the movies have humor in them, but I, I'd say the, the sense of urgency is more apparent in a, in a majority of these yeah. movies. I mean, Psycho has a major narrative shift, but I don't know that it's a tonal shift quite as much. There's something like genuinely kind of offsetting and, and creepy about like from when you first encounter Norman Bates, at least. With birds, the the, the the mode shift from this kind of quirky comedy to suddenly an apocalypse, I feel is is more um, abrupt and kind of disconcerting. It, it it doesn't quite work or gel together, especially when you have like one or two severe bird attacks, and then you cut back to a scene in which people are kind of talking about life and relationships, and it just kind of the the switching back and forth, I think, is just not very. Um, not very organic to me. Yeah, which yeah. is which is to me why I don't hold it in you know the highest regard when it comes to Hitchcock movies. Which is what I'm kind of saying as well. I do, I do like this movie quite a bit for a, few, a variety. Of, you know, I think there's some performance stuff that really works for me, and obviously the kind of ambition involved in making a, you know the second hour of this movie focused on bird attacks. But like, yeah, it does feel. I'm not going to say lesser Hitchcock, but it does. You know, it doesn't match up to movies like Vertigo or Psycho or North by Northwest in my eyes. Like it has a clear separation. And yeah, I think it's because of the kind of jarring tonal shifts um, and just the basic handling of this story where it's like, yeah, this is a, this is a two hour movie about this thing Yeah, um, where yeah. nowadays you would not get away with that at all. I mean, it'd be like 80 yeah, minutes. I, like... But again, I, I kind of attribute, you know, as much as I may have not a, as found those, you know, talk scenes with them, with the family as intriguing, it still speaks to the way that filmmaking has changed from, uh, from then till now, right? Because I agree with you, Aaron, that there's probably never a scene in which you'd see a movie today where you're going to see extended dialogue in one same setting, which is why I, I, I uh, it was something that I really had a problem with with Transformers because there's literally a cut every five seconds. I, I Like I said on the podcast when we did the review, I timed it and I averaged it. And it was like, every two seconds, you're going to see a cut scene in this particular sequence. And uh, it kind of just goes to the whole entire, I, at least I would think, the the ability of audiences to pay more attention <laughs> in that time period of like the 60s, 70s, um, or even earlier on. So uh, that's what I, because uh, given a two-hour runtime, I agree, it would probably not be two hours today. It, it might be shorter, or maybe they'll find well, more filler. To movies fill are, movies are long today. I mean, movies are two well, and a half hours when you look at some of these books. If they made it today, it, it could be two hours. It would just have more bird attacks in it. It would be, you know... It would be more trailer shots, like you mentioned. There, there, yeah, there would be more action scenes, basically. Because, I, um, I, I mean, speaking to the genre specifically, I mean, the, the disaster genre, you know, in the 70s, and then the resurgence in the, in the 90s with the Independence Day, Twister, and whatnot... There, I mean, those movies are, they're long. I mean, Poseidon Adventures, two hours. Towering Inferno is like two hours and 45 minutes or something. I mean, they're... Yeah, but and, none of those, or actually some of those might have scenes, extended scenes of just dialogue in the same shot in the same room. No, they all do. I mean, I mean, including both Towering Inferno, which again is nearly three hours, and Independence Day, which is two and a half or two hours and twenty-ish minutes. Yeah, but I mean the yeah. first the first hour of that movie is not about spaceships blowing up stuff. It's about Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, Judd Hirsch, Bill Bill, Pat, Bill Pullman doing everything they can to explain who their character is. Like it's not exciting yeah. action stuff. Yeah, like it's 
so again speaking to kind of the disaster genre um yeah there's a there is filler stuff here and i can see i can see uh, obviously no, appli I, I, it obviously applies to the to, to like that's... the 60s i mean there's a there's a difference in how films are made then versus how they're made now uh, i don't think, think those comparisons really work because you do get a lot of uh I, like i don't i don't have that high of an opinion of the Independence Day script to call it character development, but you do have an initial hour before stuff starts blowing up, let's say. And I do but have it's a high all... opinion of Independence Day script to give it credit for what it's doing in that first but hour. Still, but still, all the character establishing hour that they devote to it, it's all still in response to a central crisis, right? It's not, it's not something that comes completely out of left field like it does in this film. Now, th now that's both this movie's strength and its weakness, I think, the strength being that that it's willing to kind of take this sharp left turn, and you've suddenly got this bird uh -huh. going on in the middle of what we were kind of led to believe was a romantic comedy. But it's also <laughs> you start to realize that the even after the main crisis at hand has clearly become some kind of weird bird attack um, series of bird attacks, you're still taking time to have extended conversations about things that have kind of been rendered boring by the uh, like objectively more exciting aspect and suspenseful aspect of, of when the next attack is going to happen, right? So, I mean, this is where you kind of have to start to think about is, is Hitchcock, it, you know, is he doing this on purpose? Is there kind of a thematic uh, motivation for keeping these long scenes in there? Um, I mean, when you filter... Mm -hmm the film through so like I, i've never read the uh, the original story the daphne du maurier story uh -huh. but i do know that it takes place in england in the 50s yeah or no it's written in the it, 50s it, it's almost completely different as far there's no characters that are the same here it's just they right, it's, right. the basic elements are the only thing that are taken for the but, but i think what i recall someone mentioning once is that like the bird so it's again it's like an unmotivated unprompted bird attack uh -huh. But it's meant to symbolize like the London raid, air raids that were going on mm, during World okay. War II. This film obviously has none of those illusions. Um, but when you filter it through, especially if you know your Hitchcock a little bit, when you filter it through certain Hitchcockian themes that you see all the time in his films, like voyeurism and sexual repression, what I don't quite have a handle on with this film is whether the birds symbolize some kind of like explosive like relief valve on that repression or or maybe like an eruption of it or if they're there to kind of like as i said earlier like interrupt those issues of repression and obsessiveness which is a pretty common trait among hitchcock's characters over his career in which case the film is actually kind of subversive or, or self self-subversive insofar as hitchcock just kind of sets up all of these familiar themes only to just kind of abandon them all in the end and so I guess it all just kind of really depends um, on how you choose to make sense of the randomness and the very deliberate randomness of the birds turning against the humans, right? It, it, like, what is the symbolism? It, and I, I, think that's, I, I think that's approaching why I appreciated it on this latest viewing as far as the basically the first half where I was seeing a lot of the... I was happy to see a lot of these kind of Hitchcock conventions playing in, even if it's in more of the form of a comedy than a suspense film, just seeing these interactions with these characters, <laughs> seeing the kind of the way, the way, how they're painted, 
um, who they are, what they, what you know, what's going on in Tippy Hedren's mind to get her to do certain things. What's going on with Rod Taylor? Seeing them both kind of spying on each other at various scenes, whether they're looking at each other from a boat or from the shore. <laughs> uh, seeing right. the kind of the interactions that are leading to a possible romance, like it's. I did find that to be interesting to watch. It maybe wasn't the kind of the best example of that ever in film, but I certainly, I had a level of fun there that was separate from the bird stuff, but then the bird stuff happens. And yeah, I know I agree with you, which is again, why I don't necessarily call it like the highest of Hitchcock's work because it has this kind of like, okay, this is happening also, and this is done well, but why is this here? Uh, Besides the fact that the movie's called the birds, why did this need to happen? And I like the idea that there's no real reason. That's a great, I mean, it is, you know, it does have a, a level of impact because it's unexplained and it's random. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, it's and, like... And just what... to interject very quickly about that, that's that's part of the reason why we can have so much discussion about it is because it's not explained, right? So there's no real explanation for why the birds ha- or this bird attack is happening. Therefore, we can make, you know, metaphorical uh, allusions to anything that we've... Uh, anything else that we've... Or historically important at the same time period. I mean, as we all really know, those commie spy planes dumped a bunch of invisible bird seeds all over uh, the Bay Area, which is what invisible happened. bird seed. Yeah, that's that's clear. That would be that actually could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'll research well, it. I'll well, go to the local library tomorrow. Well, you you watched it before. I mean, you know, if you listen really closely on the soundtrack like there's hints all the way from the beginning of the film that something bad's going to happen because if you listen really closely on the soundtrack all the birds are going coo coo <laughs> <laughs> um i want to talk i mean that's, I want to... Uh, that's, a, that's a bill hicks joke by the way i shouldn't uh wait <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um i want to talk about some of these talking scenes that are within the after the birds have started attacking because there's that big diner scene where on my notes i wrote this diner scene because it's um <laughs> i thought I, I, I call it the uh, marsha gay harden scene uh as in the mist the mist okay mm, okay do you guys know what i'm referring to i do yes uh okay <laughs> oh the soldiers did it um the <laughs> this diner scene goes on for a long time um it has you know it has basically the entire cast rod taylor to be hedger and then like just a bunch of random pages of the diner and there's all these different like things going on where like there's this old woman who's explaining she's apparently the biggest bird expert in the world because she knows everything about yeah. birds and their number of species there are and <laughs> how terrible it would be if they all started teaming up and going against us you have this guy who's proclaiming it to be the end of the world constantly you have a yeah. cook who's coming out of the kitchen being like, what's going on here? Where are we at war yeah, with? Like he casually sits at one of the tables. Yeah, he just starts listening in. There's a woman with her two kids who the kids are getting freaked out because of all this bird talk. And then Tippy Hedren's trying to explain, like, this happened. I don't, why aren't you listening to me? And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. But I was really entertained by it. But it does feel like this weird isolated bit of a movie where it's like, this doesn't really need to be here. Like we can kind of we can chop this scene because it doesn't lead to any lead to any revelations. Uh, yeah. it, it, there's no like sudden like oh that's why they're here. Like it it doesn't lead to that. It only kind of if anything it only really has a payoff because of both them all responding to this person at a gas or the gas station thing where the gas bird knocks out a guy. He knocks over the gas thing. Gas bleeds down into the street. Guy of a, guy's lighting up a cigar. Guy's lighting a cigarette. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And like he blows himself up. And then up. a bird knocks him over. And they're and, and, and they're all, and they're all cigarette. Yeah, and they're all shouting at him. But then like the that's actually up. one of my favorite scenes in the movie too, because uh, the way that the way that they cut back to Tippy Hedren's character, they do three cuts because she looks three, at, three. she looks left. And then center and then right. And I was like, this is this is great. <laughs> then the, the later payoff is when they're back in the diner in the scene we already explained where she gets confronted yeah. and everything. But I like, guess 
Actually, I, I like that scene a lot. But like, it's to me, it sh- I mean, it shows me Hitch- like Hitchcock knows how to have fun. Like we already mentioned that he has a dark streak of humor in pretty much all of his movies. But like he does, like it's the kind of like let's stop and talk about it for a second. And yes, it's overlong and not even necessary. But I did have fun watching a scene like this, and it's the kind of thing where. We, yeah, we likely wouldn't get scenes like this in movies today where it's like, why don't we just stop the plot and stop action so we can discuss everything in a fairly, you know... <laughs> in a non- seemingly non-sequitur way. Yeah, I mean, the scene, the only takeaway from the scene is you have this, like, ornithologist who's basically just, you know, yeah. there for exposition. And the only purpose she serves is to kind of outline, like, if if birds were, really were attacking humankind, we would be done for, right? Because she's just like does the math in her she's, head. Yeah. Um, so she's basically just there to kind of prove to us that the situation is serious, mm-hmm. which I think should be obvious after seeing a school full of children running for their lives from birds. But yeah, sure, let's have a scene like yeah, this. So uh, you're right. It, uh, you, you could you could ditch the scene and it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't do much. Although the, uh, the the Marsha Gay Harden character, as I call her, like that. that <laughs> You know that that's an important character, yes. Um, in in a way, I guess. Yeah. Question for you guys: Do you guys have like uh, a favorite bird attack scene? Jungle Jim. The Jungle Jim okay. scene. Yeah. Let's talk well, about it's not, that scene. You know, you know it's, it's not it's not even the it's not even the attack. It's the uh, it's, it's just the, the suspense of yeah. of the birds sitting there in mass, and then she slowly yeah. walks out to into the schoolroom. And that's, I mean, watching it again today, that's clearly what I was admiring most, the kind of setups to these scenes. The bird attacks themselves, I mean, I, I see what's going, I see how it's, you know, working, I see the what can be impressive about it and what have you, but there's far more to get, I mean, nowadays, especially, when, you know, I've seen so many things as far as how cinema's advanced or whatnot, not to discredit the work done by Hitchcock, right. let alone any other older film that has amazing visual effects for their time, such as King Kong, which I love, or Jason and the Argonauts, but, like, watching the, you know, Watching this, the setup to these scenes, like we keep talking about this jungle gym scene, we'll talk about in a second, or the the build up to the end sequence where Tippi Hedren slowly moves around the house I, and eventually I, goes yeah. upstairs and then goes right. into the room. I mean, which makes no sense as far as why are you even doing this? You, like, but in, in terms of like, well, she heard some noises. Yeah, she, yeah. No, what could they be? It was probably a, maybe a drifter. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but like, in terms of like how you know the direction of those scenes, how they're being carefully placing the camera around you you know to just kind of observe these little details seeing how there's one more bird every other shot and that kind of thing it just it's great like it's that's that's the stuff that stands up so well that's the stuff that really that yeah that that scene gets excerpted and taught in film school mm-hmm. for like editing technique yeah uh, are you talking about the uh Tim Hedren slowly walking with no well, well the editing noise. of just the the you know you've got this calm song yeah. playing kids are singing and she's just lighting up a cigarette and you see one bird two bird three bird and then she finally notices one and turns around and it's you know a hundred birds and and just in terms of how to use editing to generate suspense and then suspense 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 and then then surprise right it's it's completely ingenious. What I also really like about that scene is when she goes inside the school to alert Miss Hayworth and the you know and the, you know about and what's the, going on. The because yeah. The, yeah, because the scene's been so well established as far as what's the threat, they, they don't have a cutaway when they like she and the teacher they go to the window to see you know to show her what's going on. They don't have a cutaway shot to show you there's a hundred birds out there. The scene has been so incredibly well done. You get it. You know you know, I don't need to see the birds again. I know there's birds out right. there. So it keeps inside the room, which you know could be you know also 
helping with budget or what have you as far as another angle on the birds again. But it's just so, like, I'm in this moment now with this character. I see a bunch of innocent kids that could get slaughtered by birds because I already saw a guy with his eyes poked out. So I know the capabilities of these birds. I don't. I don't need to see an, yet another shot of birds. I just like. I want these kids to get the fuck out of there now. Like I need to know what's going to happen. Yeah, and it, it is distressing because just to bump into that scene a little bit more, when they are running away, it's distressing to see these kids get pecked at because the close-up shots of, you know, the crows with their mouths open with, you know, against the ears of these school children, it's really bothersome because. Of course, you don't want to see anyone expire, uh, any child expire on screen. So it's just, it, it's it's very effective. I'm, I'm kind of fine with it, but <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I don't think we see enough kids, like, eat it on screen. But You love um, Pet Cemetery, then. I love Pet Cemetery. Um, <laughs> I don't know, funny games? Uh, what, we just list off a bunch of kids Soul who Top Precinct like, 13. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yes. yes. Oh, the the, the uh, vanilla ice cream. The ice cream truck scene, yeah. The, uh, the other just, you know, trivial detail, but this really works, is uh, the choice of bird for that scene, right? It's it's crows. Uh-huh. Birds. Uh, oh. Ravens. I guess, I guess the, the ornithologist character makes a big deal at some point, if I recall, about like, oh, ravens and, and crows are not the same, young lady. But yes. the fact yes. that they, yeah. they, pick, they, they pick crows for that scene as opposed to like yeah, another flock of seagulls or something not yeah. the band but the uh 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 seagulls literally are, a flock of seagulls whatever. um like like you pick a particularly menacing looking bird is just it's, it's gold yeah they are one of the smartest birds too but you know no <laughs> no disrespect to the seagulls those guys i do get some cringeworthy moments whenever uh uh, Tippy Hedron heads up to the room, and there's close-ups on her hand, and the the seagulls are pecking at. Even when um, uh, Mitch is trying to close the window, I those scenes where the I, I can't tell if they actually did let these birds bite their hands or whatever the case was, because those make me jump sometimes. I, I should say this. I, I if I'm not, I haven't made this clear at all. This is the reason I don't trust birds. Uh, this movie, like I really, I don't, okay. I don't really like birds. I don't, especially groups of birds. I don't really trust them. I don't. I don't it's the it's the same reason where with I'm in a pool. I'm still worried that there could be a shark in there. It makes no sense, but hey, there's yeah, water. Yeah, you know, I, I can see that. That that's possible. A deep end of a pool. It's dark. I don't know what's down there. <laughs> Chlorine, chlorinated water. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 there's a very. Specific, I mean, I which is crazy because I'm fine at the beach. Like I'm cool going to the beach, but like the deep end of a pool, it's like that is weird. It's like what's what's over there? What's in that corner? Like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but no birds. I I don't get freaked out by birds, but I'm certainly like I'm watching them if I'm walking somewhere and there's a, a bunch yeah, of birds. It's like you always one eye. I'm 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 watching you, bird. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that too. Um, um, as far as um, people getting bit by birds or whatnot, I know Tippy Hedren went through hell making this movie. Um, it was, uh, Hitchcock. So maybe some of those uh, cuts are real, huh? You're referring to something else, I think, right? Well, Hitchcock. I mean, he was very, very sexually aggressive towards Tippy Hedren, um, but also uh, yes, that's right. The, that, the, that's the re- came out. Uh, years ago right the, the or re- more light was shed on that uh, the rejection of his advances also led to her basically being tortured on set while making this movie because they're i mean the the quote the that climactic scene of her in the attic like they tied birds to her to make them you know to have her you know help simulate the attack or whatnot and she did that a lot that was a, there was a it's a long day mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of little stuff like that that uh 
But I mean, not not to make light of that, like Tippi Hedren has very famously accused Hitchcock of sexual harassment, yes. basically, oh, yeah. and for ending her career, um, mm. uh, for not you know accepting his advances, and she 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 uh, holds true to that to this day. There are camps of people, like there are people who uh, are very close to the Hitchcock uh, kind of filmmaking family who say like we were there and we never saw any behavior of that sort, and then they kind of they're in the Hitchcock camp and then there are those who say no uh, we we believe tippy i'm not trying to equivocate but it's kind of this complicated thing that tippy hedron's to this day kind of you know maintains and mm-hmm. it, it's it's a it's kind of an ugly detail about uh about this film it's kind of a cloud yeah, about the making of it yeah um to move away from that what do you guys think of, and i know this is by no means to move us to the end but what did you guys think of the ending of uh when the mother and um, Tippy shared that that look. Uh, they're in the car. She's she's been wounded, and then they share this look of understand. Is it a look of understanding, or is that a well, look a, of? Well, it's it speaks to what I was enjoying about this movie, as far as the kind of character drama that's going on here, where Jessica Tandy's character, she's she doesn't like her. She knows the reputation that Melanie yeah. Daniels has, and she doesn't like that she's date that she's you know pursuing her son. And right. there's some various backstories exchanged between different characters at different times or whatnot. But by the end of the movie, um, regard you know the extenuating circumstances going on and whatnot, and both having you know having suffered through this ordeal together. Yeah, being a survivor type story now. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, okay, we're, we we got to make it together because what else do we have? Yeah. Okay. So, so so you look at it as kind of a a look of reconciliation and understanding and mutual respect or something like that. Yeah, basically. Okay. Um, well, because that, I'm glad you raised that point, right? Because you not only have an ending that ends with this sort of, you know, climactic, apocalyptic uh, landscape of just like the whole place has been covered with birds. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have an ending to like the, the bird side of things, but it's also within that you have the smaller kind of human drama going on between them uh, that, that kind of comes to some sort of conclusion, even if it's uh, an ambiguous one. But that, I mean, the reason why I think that's interesting is because the film is trying to do two things. On the one hand, it's this, like, bizarre apocalyptic horror movie, uh, animal attack movie. But on the other hand, they're trying to have a family melodrama play out in the midst of this attack, right? So we, we maybe we have it in reverse. Like we're talking about it as this, like, oh, this screwball comedy and this like family drama, and the mother doesn't approve because she she's you know urban and she's wild, uh, and then all of a sudden birds attack. When in reality, maybe we have it backwards, and it's about this family trying to like reconcile their differences in the midst of a crisis, right? And the the crisis can be a metaphor for whatever nuclear attack or or, you know, whatever would have been relevant in the 60s. Sure. Because I think one really key thing to keep in mind with regard to the family element of this of, uh, of the drama going on is that this is a film that is completely unable to pass the Bechdel test. Because even though Tip Edren is the lead character, the central mm-hmm. character is actually Rod Taylor. Because all of the significant female characters in the film revolve around him. Yeah. And they're all vying for his affection, right? He's a total mama's boy. And so you do have this, like, tug-of-war between his his affection and his attention and that kind of thing. And so that's where a lot of the drama is going on between 
mother and uh, uh, and Tippi Hedren as well. Yeah. Yeah. Con- yes. So and, like, that's an interesting con- take. Contextualizing it that way, you can speak to that for a lot of horror movies that or thrillers would have you that have this kind of like uh, plot that starts the thing off and then you know all hell breaks loose. I mean, you can look like I don't know Cloverfield, where the movie's essentially a love story uh, that just happens to have a giant monster get in the way. And, well, this guy tries to prove a love story by, filmed by T.J. Miller, by the way, by filmed by cinematographer T.J. Miller. Um, <laughs> uh, you can look at I mean the movie we talked about earlier. Uh, it comes at night as this kind of paranoia breakdown um, in the midst of this kind of apocalyptic crisis. Uh, there's a or you go, I don't know, uh, Night of the Living Dead is this kind of social thriller. Uh, that, one, that one's much more uh, on the nose, probably because people have done so much, you know, discussions about that. Um, I wanted to ask, this is a really early comment that Abe made about how fascinating you found some of the moments of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when Jessica Tandy finds a dead body, but she's like, the, 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 she wants to scream, but it just won't come out, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the scene in which Tippi Hedren like gets hers at the end where she stumbles mm-hmm. on all the birds and they all attack her. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you say you found it kind of refreshing. Yeah. That a movie's willing to just like spend moments of silence because the last time I saw this film, I screened it for students and we had a short discussion afterwards and there were students who just couldn't handle it. They complained about how, you know, just why aren't you screaming? You're yeah. letting these birds like just eat you alive and all you need to do is scream and they're going to come help you. And so, you know, I want to tie that to my earlier point about how, you know, the main character is not Tippi Hedren. It's actually Rod Taylor. Um, sorry, there's a helicopter going above me. I don't know if that's catching on. But uh, it's killing the birds. <laughs> the uh, the what was the point I was making? So the Rod Taylor thing, because. Mm-hmm. There is arguably something kind of, and then given what we know about Hitchcock's kind of history with Tippi Hedren and something, there is something arguably misogynistic about the fact that, like, the women in the film are either completely hysterical, like the woman in the diner, or completely unable to speak, depending on what the scene calls for. Right. Hmm. There's okay. really no logic to like why she's not screaming when she's being assaulted by birds. Um, and you have this woman, Tippi Hedren, who in the beginning is very freewheeling and carefree and and all these things just being completely silenced at the end by experiencing a trauma that is, you know, it's sort of like the shower scene in Psycho, which is edited in a way to maximize that impact by giving us this like assault over and over and over from all these different angles um, to, to, to really make us uncomfortable. And I feel like in both Psycho, the shower scene, and the final bird attack scene, I mean, I feel like these are metaphorical rape scenes, and I wouldn't feel quite as confident in kind of uh, assessing them that way if I hadn't seen Frenzy, which is a literal rape scene. And so this is where, like, Hitchcock makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. It's not a new or original allegation whatsoever that Hitchcock has, like, kind of a misogynistic streak in his movies. Um, a lot of people make that allegation. And so when I, when I kind of think about that history of, of people who've made that allegation against Hitchcock, and I tie that to, uh, like, real allegations of, of sexual assault against Tippi Hedren on the set of this movie— the whole thing starts to feel kind of icky to me 
in terms of just how women become silenced or, or, or their voices are taken away from them in the midst of this movie in which the, the central character ultimately is, is the man. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. I feel there's, a, there's an undercurrent there that I'm, that kind of makes me feel it does. And then in responding to this, I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm certainly not kind of downplaying the severity of what rape is, but I, I in, into the context of this movie and psycho and any of the other movies, I think it's, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying rape, but I certainly think Hitchcock is punishing his characters specifically his female characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, and I think it's, it's very, it's no surprise that the, and you know, this is certainly a reading that I took from it as well, as far as Tippi Hedges' character is concerned. And you, it, once again, it ties back to you asking if she's likable or not. Regardless if I like the character or not, Hitchcock has nothing but contempt for her. She's being punished throughout this movie. Right. I mean, she's yeah. the first person that gets hit by a bird. She gets hit by birds various times. She has to do, do in her protect in her attempts to protect other people. She's getting hit by birds, and then the right. very end of the movie, the climax of the film, is her being stripped, you know, in a room by herself, can't open the door, and nothing but birds are destroying her. And after right. that happens birds stop like that's the last time birds attack after that i mean it's it's it, the movie's no doubt making some kind of statement that tp hedger needs to be punished and that's what we're doing to her yeah uh, whether yeah. or not that's fair that's you know uh, you know up for debate but um, it's, I, I i would argue that's completely unfair especially <laughs> given the backstory of what went on on the set and whatever else so yeah i hadn't thought about it in that light uh pfd uh pfd is my nickname for you professor mike dylan i don't know why the uh, FD, but um, <laughs> but uh, essentially, um, when you do put it in that in that context, sure, I can certainly see it that way, and that kind of then takes out some of the more apocalyptic themes, and just says, by the way, this is a, an entire movie about my my subversive view on being a, a chauvinist or a misogynist, and when you think about that, I agree that I do get this icky feeling. Again, it, it's not something I had really given too much thought about because I haven't seen as many Hitchcock movies as both of you guys have. But when you do think about it that way, sure. Yeah. It, it's kind of a disgusting feeling. Well, it's, it, I mean, I use the term rape, right. And, and I, I know that it's, it's such a loaded word. It's, it's not a fun word to kind of toss into a discussion because it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a heavy word, but at the same time, I feel it's, it's a defensible one because if you compare the shower scene in psycho to the, the bird attack scene. I mean, it's not just a woman kind of getting trapped in a, in a vulnerable space and just being violated repeatedly through like being penetrated by sharp objects, right? It's uh, the bird pecking in one scene and a knife in the other. Like, I feel like calling these things metaphorical rape scenes is not indefensible. It, it, it kind of works. Um, and just like, I feel like there is an element of, like, if we agree that Tippi Hedren, through some kind of symbolic, you know, mojo that she has, brings the plague upon the town, and it is ultimately about kind of silencing her, because she becomes completely speechless at the end, right? Silencing yes. her, mm-hmm. punishing her, and the bird attacks. The, the birds, like, they all amass at the end, but they're strangely calm at the end once they finally, like, gotten a hold of Tippi Hedren, once they've destroyed her, that's when the the crisis kind of calms itself. So the question becomes, what is she being punished for? I mean, is she being punished because Hitchcock has some problem in a very general sort of way, and he's working out some ugly demons of his own? Or is she being punished because she's like a one percenter, or because she's got some kind of 
disruptive uh, presence that she brings to the equilibrium of this like small, quaint, happy town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so that's when I said earlier about like it, it kind of depends on what your reading is of what the birds symbolize. Like, what what is it? Are, are they are they there as a corrective measure to some kind of line that Tippi Hedren has crossed, or or not at all? Which is which. Like is interesting in itself because it adds to the complete arbitrariness of everything going on in the film, and that makes you wonder, you know, just how essential you know having the development of Tippi Hutchins' character is to the story that we're, you know, and how things result or whatnot. Because we're not getting, we're not getting enough to show her as this kind of bad person. If anything, we get we get enough to sympathize right. with her as far as why she yeah. has this reputation. It's because you know her mother left and she's just kind of left to her own devices. Like she's not a bad person by any means. She's just, well, yeah. that, you know, ha- she has the ability to do certain things, and she's. I wouldn't say she's exploited them, but it's more of like, yeah, she's just she she happens to be a rich woman that can do whatever she wants. It seems it's yeah. not, it's inherited to her, um, and you know. Yeah, she's not, yeah, and, and you know, just to touch Martin. on that very quickly. She's not Martin Shkreli or whatever that guy's name is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an accurate. Yeah, she, yeah, she's not like like mobilizing her wealth to cause people harm. Yeah, like she wants to always, find a husband. Like that's her goal. It yeah. seems like that's, that's yeah. it. I mean, yeah. and, she, and she's a, a merry prankster, you know. So I'm not sure what it is that she's uh, what it is that is begging for such uh, violent punishment. Let yeah, me, um, and, and especially you know just to reiterate that diner scene where she's walking in and being confronted by the by the mother, the the other mother. Um, I feel bad for her in that scene because. Again, what did she do to, to to get this blame other than you know being in the in Bodega Bay and people not knowing who she is? There was no other context for me to to think. Yep, yeah, yeah, no, that that mother of two definitely has a point. It's more of wow, that's a really serious accusation. I'm just here in the shit with all you guys as well. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, but I mean, so, I, can, I can understand the perspective that the mother has too, where it's like I there is this mysterious person that things happened the second she showed up. I don't know him. I'm in a state of panic because not only is my yeah. life at threat, but you know, that my kids are as well. This, this is the problem that I'm clearly, that's, um, that I'm uh, currently identifying. Uh, so I'm going to yeah. go that route because I don't have any other explanation. I mean, people are panicky, you know, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But it, again, I, I'm just very empathetic. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Story. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad for TV Hedren. That's not a mystery. Right. I don't think any of us feel good about the, you know, the punishment that she got this film. Right. Um, I it just I wanted to point this out. Uh, the, there's a shot after um, she gets attacked and she gets rescued. She's on the couch and like Mitch is trying to wake her up and she just starts. She opens her eyes, and just starts swinging, and the camera's like yes. right. On, the camera's right on top of her. And I yeah. love that shot. I think that's a, it's a it's a fantastic shot to put you in her state of mind. Where it's like I just got attacked by birds. I passed yeah. out due to bird attack. Anything in front of me right now just seems like another bird, and she's just like swinging. And it just it was really it was a really effective shot. I just I, I really yeah. in the midst of all this stuff going on, it's like that's a cool little acting scene right there. It's like it, be be bad. It, <laughs> yeah, it's a cool acting scene. It's a it's a cool setup, but it also is well done in that it shows just how she's been reduced because she keeps her yeah. composed through most of the film. Oh yeah. That's the only going. time she's really lucid yeah. is that after that she's, scene yeah. when she has nothing she, to say anymore. Yeah. Yeah. She's completely been reduced down to like just base instinct and fear and yeah. just terror 
She's right. She's been terrorized and traumatized. Which actually takes me back to the question you had, Abe, about the kind of look that Jessica Tannity and Tippi Hedren exchange. Because sure, yeah, at the end. Because sure, there's maybe a level of understanding, but there is also a if you want to read it this way, this woman, Tippi Hedren's character, Melanie, she's been broken down and beaten, and all the presumably all the free will that she's had has been taken away from her, and now she can conform to whatever the you know the family life is with Jessica Tandy and Rod Taylor and Veronica Cartwright. Like she can, she can fall into that zone as opposed to being herself. I, that... Ooh, never conform. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a not a definitive reading by me, but absolutely right. that's one to consider as well. Where it's like it's been t- the the person she was is gone because she's been beaten out. It's been beaten out of her, which is a horrible yeah. thing to think. But one that right. Can't... Of how dark that makes the uh, the final look that they exchange at the end, right? That it's Jessica Tandy, and it's a dark I, movie. I mean, the movie is it, it ends with birds still out there, no words. The end on it is just really creepy, right? It, it's, it's actually a, a, a overcast scene, right? So uh, thousands of birds and overcast scene as they no drive music, away in the no yeah. music whatsoever. It's a really creepy scene. So like, yeah. and. I don't think it's above Hitchcock to you know play you know play a movie as dark like that. I mean, look at the final shot of Psycho. I mean, it's just like it. it, it <laughs> so you know. I I uh, I can't take credit for this, even though I don't remember who said it. it was someone uh, back in my film studies days made this mm-hmm. point, which I thought was brilliant. I'm I'm sorry I can't shout out whoever it was that uh, said this or pointed this out, but there's something really cool. There's a there's a reversal in the structure of the film in that she. She, so she drives into town to deliver these lovebirds, right? And she's got them in a cage. So <laughs> she enters the town with the birds sort of sitting in a cage in her car. But when she leaves town, the birds have her completely in a cage. Hmm. Mm, interesting. She's, com- she's completely immobile, trapped in this in this tiny little car as they try to make their way out of it. So the bird overlords have taken over. So that they, they have completely, like, ruined her in a way right yeah that's an interesting uh assessment i I have a question for you uh mike um speaking of scenes you mentioned earlier the scene where it just pans out and shows you the town on fire like it shows you that streak um what what Uh, interests you about that scene yeah that shot oh i just think it's like a technical marvel it was okay. the it was because the birds kind of swoop in from there too. Like there, it zooms yeah. out again. You have the birds' perspective essentially of them looking yeah. at the town and being like, "I'm gonna go get this town now." Like this is like what's but, going. But, on. Also, but if I recall, it, so there's a giant explosion and it's it's a little bit goofy because yeah. it's edited in that way where Tippy Hedren's head yeah. like turns yeah. 45 degrees yeah. every. Time. Yeah, but then, but it cuts to this explosion and then you see it from the air and it's not as though suddenly these birds come in it's like it's it's a moment of calm right yes. you get like a good three four five seconds and then one little bird kind of slowly floats into frame and then yes. there's a second one and then suddenly there's eight and then it's a whole squadron i guess basically and it's just it's just super well done it's it's technically very savvy and it's the one shot i would point to and say yeah this this paved the way for so many shots like it in modern blockbusters in particular uh shots from blockbusters that get used in trailers okay like the planes like the like the the japanese zeros uh, amassing in the sky for the pearl harbor trailer if you remember that right it's yeah, terrible amazing shot right so like that's that's straight out of this shot from birds not yeah. that i would ever accuse michael bay of being like a really you know 
a diverse film scholar or anything, but you, you say that the Michael Bay's he, Platinum he, du- hold on, hold on. Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes has has had birds for a while as far as in yeah. various stages of development. Like I mean, and Michael oh, Bay, I mean, he, but also he, he's a he's a cinephile. He's he is a cinephile. He he's, a, he's a he's a huge movies, Coen Brothers so. fan. He he, he, loves yeah. a, he has a lot of admiration. And again, him. in a New York Times article, he said that one of his favorite movies is a West Side Story. So. Yeah. He may not make you movies know. the way that his, you know, forebears and yeah, contemporaries I'll, 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 do. But... I, didn't, I didn't mean to. Uh, oh, but by, by no means am I am I, you know, fully supporting Michael Bay's movies. No, no, no. But, I, I, I'll, I'll retract it. I didn't mean to um, uh, imply that he's not a cinephile. I did mean to imply that he might be Satan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes it better. Sorry. I, yeah, I, I get too mixed up sometimes. Well, Satan's so. huge on lens flares. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and 360 shots where the character turns the other way i i i want to talk to you a bit about um the kind of the uh, hitchcock's ambition with this movie because i feel like um after psycho which was you know a giant success in a variety of ways um he has the birds and it's like this i mean we, we talk about some of the movies that are like outliers in his filmography or whatnot whether they're because they're you know straight up comedy as opposed to suspense comedies or thrillers or whatnot or even you know his later films that are pretty much exploitative films and so your exploitation film to some degree the birds is like this this does feel you know different from like the rest of his career as far as what kind of movie it is like it is like a straight up horror it has it blends some genres together but it is essentially a horror movie it's a, yeah. you know, a nature a nature horror film uh, where it's, it's also it's also arguably a little supernatural yeah as well yeah which is which is unusual for him for sure um, as compared to Psycho, which you know it's a psychological thriller, poor elements in it. The Birds is like, I always wonder what his state of mind was, where he's like, I'm gonna you know select my next project, and like here's a book, here's a concept that I seem to have interest in, here's a new star lit that I can put into it, and it's like, okay, so you've you've gone from having this kind of creative um, uh, serial murderer to this giant like the scale of this thing is just so i mean it's i can't imagine it being like super expensive to have made at the time but even then it's like this thing is remarkably different as far as the kind of the scope of what he's going for here and it seems like is he trying to one-up psycho in that matter of like well i had some clever murders on that one but here i'm gonna have a whole town under under siege and have children <laughs> in peril and have the latest and greatest in special effects which is never really Hitchcock's thing like he's had elaborate setups and whatnot and something like North by Northwest has you know obviously some huge set pieces and Psycho has some creative ideas so you can look at I mean Rope was obviously ambitious for different reasons or Dial M for Murder is 3D but like Mm -hmm. the birds is like here's here's me doing a special effects movie here's me like really going for it but I think you're undercutting your own argument like he does have a history of like real technical ambition but also technical innovation right finding ways to tell the story through technique. Um, and so it, to, I, I don't know exactly what his state of mind would have been or like why he would have chosen this coming off of Psycho mm-hmm. or, and, or whether the two have anything to do with each other. But it doesn't surprise me to assume that Hitchcock would have found intriguing or would have found appealing a, an opportunity to experiment with you know certain kinds of special effects and 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 do things that hadn't been seen on screen before and to do the sure. research like okay well how are we gonna how are we gonna achieve some of these bird effects like you know i, I can see uh no, that yeah that element is not surprising yeah. to me as far as he was able to achieve it it's more of mm-hmm. the kind of remarkable separation between something like psycho which is more 
low key yeah. by comparison to an entire town is under siege by ravenous birds. Like that's that's a that's a giant step up as far as the right. kind of yeah totally and, and and the way that you characterize it of well this is his special effects one and you know there he has his 3D one that's actually an interesting way because that kind of just that kind of lends itself to to me thinking that or to giving a little bit more credit to Hitchcock of just over the years I want to experiment and make films uh, with I want to make different genre films and I, I'm I'm trying to think of current directors today that have also done the same thing. And I know that there have been, and we've probably talked about them on the show as well, but um, I always have an inch, a level of like intrigue and respect for the folks that don't stick to one genre and they, they move away and say, well, you know, I, I want to try out, I don't know. Uh, for example, if Michael Bay had only done Transformers movies and then all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to make pain and gain. And people are like, that's not going to fly. And it actually turns out to be a pretty interesting um, dark tale about uh, about uh, you know these folks in Florida. Um, You're speaking to like journeyman filmmakers and like Spielberg's obviously like the ultimate in that scenario because he's done almost that's a great everything. Point. And yeah, Ang Lee's one. Yes, yeah, Ang Lee. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Can I just uh, point out also uh, just just a quick observation I had sure. uh, in connecting Psycho to birds? Psycho has like some really heavy bird imagery in it doesn't it yeah it does the the because um, he likes stuffed birds and he like his yeah, latest kill is Marion crane right yeah so yes. so uh, maybe he's got a thing about birds yeah, a lot of that foreshadowing that's for sure so you know maybe he's a amateur ornithologist himself at the at the time <laughs> I, 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 I i maybe the tagline for the birds was it all led to this <laughs> Is that the tagline for Harry Potter? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, what should we call it? Uh, in terms of um, the aesthetic and the the uh, technical aspects, was there anything that, aside from what we discussed, was there anything else that kind of stood out? Now, that was a good poll, Aaron, by the uh, the no score thing, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we talked about the kind of the visual effects work in this film, which is, I think, the the most obvious as far as mm-hmm. what we're seeing. Yeah, I don't know what else would. I mean, it's a, it's a Hitchcock movie. There's a lot of right. the way there's uh, shots kind of stack up on each other of having people look, you know, people basically spying on each other at various angles or whatnot. Like it's it's all there. Yeah, a lot of those themes are, are it, it they feel familiar, right? right. I mean, it just even beginning with like just this iconic introduction of a beautiful blonde woman, right? It's just kind of it screams Hitchcock. Where is his cameo in this, by the way? I don't recall. He's, right he's walking two dogs. Right at, yeah, right at, at the beginning. Out of when, the store. when Tippy Hedron walks okay. into the pet sh- uh, the bird okay. shop, uh, Hedgecock walks out with his, with his two dogs. I believe Stanley yeah. and Harvey. Kubrick? No, it's oh, okay. Stanley and Henry or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Those are his real dogs? Those were his actual dogs, yeah. Okay. Because that was that period. Like, like, it was, what, like, like 50s i think is when he started doing it like right at the beginning because people were like like we need to find it like he he was always doing it but it's like it started getting distracting so he's like i'm gonna just start doing it right at the beginning to get it out the beginning so you guys can watch the movie to get it out of the way yeah like the yeah. like like north by northwest has that epic introduction opening credit sequence and at the very end of it is hitchcock missing a bus like it's just he he goes for it really well <laughs> and now who does it m night Shyamalan. <laughs> Shyamalan writes himself into his movies. He right? does, yeah. He yeah. gives himself he gives himself multiple lines of dialogue. The the best Hitchcock, my favorite Hitchcock cameo is in uh, Lifeboat. Uh-huh. I'm sure Aaron knows what I'm talking about. 
um, so lifeboat, it's, it's this, uh, uh, group of, um, soldiers, I guess maybe their, their battleship has been sunk by a German submarine. So they're on this lifeboat. There's a reporter played by a Tallulah Bankhead on there. And so the entire movie takes place on this lifeboat in the middle of the ocean. So there's no possible way for Hitchcock to make a cameo, but one of the characters is like reading a magazine that they have handy and he features himself as the before and a before and after shot for a weight loss ad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't remember how closely the camera focuses on it. And maybe maybe if it does too much, then it's a little bit conspicuous. But it, it gives it enough where you're like, ha, huh, that's fun. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's his most clever cameo, uh, I would say. It's a fun one. Okay. Some, of, some of them are really distracting. And kind of yeah, like which is which is why why again it helps that he does them right at, he started doing them right, right at the beginning. beginning so it's not like yeah. overshadowing anything um unlike stan lee who's like it can't get enough of him <laughs> um i'm kidding i i, I could use <laughs> less elaborate stan lee things uh defenders does it pretty well he's just on a poster like good okay thanks <laughs> um anything else i want to talk about with uh the birds mm, i don't know we've covered quite a bit yeah, especially some of the the themes there's still an interesting open question as to whether the ending is meant to be read as like very nihilistic or maybe not nihilistic insofar as it's actually kind of subversive in how little explanation it offers and how little satisfaction it offers you know um I feel like it's actually just a real estate commercial that says don't move to Bodega Bay and instead move to anywhere other than Sebastopol or Santa Rosa, which are northern North Bay uh, in Northern California. So it's like, yeah, you know, I'm safe where I am. I, I think I think it's also, you know, we talk about Hitchcock as this unique auteur and even the kind of complaints we've raised or the concerns we've raised about like, uh, like some of the chauvinism is really poking through right here. We all kind of, we, we tie it very much to like his singular vision as an auteur, which is fine. But at the same time, I mean, this is why entire courses get taught on Hitchcock, right, in my world. But at the same time, it's, it's difficult to divorce the film from kind of the films being made in that era and the sort of Cold War, nuclear apocalypse narratives. Because, I mean, it's a film that lends itself toward explanation in that, like, Look at it this way. The Cold War was fueled by fears that mankind would destroy nature with all of its out-of-control weapons. Yeah. And this is a movie that like, very cleverly turns that on its head by having nature attack humans in a completely arbitrary way. Um, and, and thus kind of reversing the apocalypse on itself, on, on, on us, basically. Um, and Idris Elba wasn't there to cancel it. Uh, so, <laughs> Generally you know, a shame it, when that doesn't happen. Yeah, it, it feels very much kind of uh, of an early '60s era genre film, um, independent of being a uh, being something that we can interpret and pick apart and dissect as a Hitchcock film. I, I mean, I, I, in addition to that, I would say as far as Hitchcock as a filmmaker, he is like the ultimate showman as well. I mean, there's a reason why he's so synonymous with a, being the master of suspense and you know just having a, 
this delightful sense of humor about how dark things can get and how twisted uh, you can consider them for the time, of course. Um, and I think by having an ending like this that's so ambiguous as far as we don't see really the fates of these characters beyond the fact that they get out of town, there's no words, the end, which is typically on right. all of his movies. He left it off of this one. I think that speaks to him kind of delivering what he would probably consider. I mean, he, it, the, on the poster it says it could be the most terrifying motion picture I've ever made. Like, I think it speaks to what his ultimate goal sometimes is in a plain sort of way where it's, I really want to fuck with the audience. <laughs> I think he, I mean, he, he has that in spades. Like, I I, think I read this in the trivia where, like, he actually had um, uh, bird sounds coming out of speakers during the London premiere just to freak out the audience as they were leaving the theater from this movie. Like, he really, <laughs> like, he wanted to go all out and just kind of scaring you and kind of giving you this What an of, asshole. And giving you this sense of unease uh, by the time you're done with this movie where it's like, it's not just the movie, it's the world. Birds are taking Oh, Like, there's... It's kind of like, haha! I frightened you with this. Uh, yeah, there's a P.T. Barnum quality to him, like uh, in a way, yeah. Which I I like. I enjoy that aspect. It does. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, yes, there's. You know, you can look at Hitchcock in various ways as far as what's going on in his own mind and what he you know had an affinity towards or what kind of flaws or sins he was committing or what have you. But I mean. At the looking at him now, as far as this is a collection of films that this filmmaker has given me, there is a great showman aspect that I can't not appreciate because I just I love the quality of entertainment that he does bring out in these movies. So I'll I'll leave you with an anecdote. Um, this I'm being messenger here. Uh, you might find this interesting as a tidbit. Um, I got my PhD at USC Film School, Boo. and I'm just kidding. Boo, UCLA. Um, the, uh, and there's a Hitchcock course that gets taught there, uh, every couple years, I think on, on rotation, there's a, a professor there, uh, named, uh, Dr. Drew Casper, who's kind of the official Hitchcock expert there. Uh, and, and so there is a official Hitchcock course that is taught there, uh, quite frequently. And I was a TA for that class. And what I found very interesting was all the students, and this is like a massive class, like 300 students. At the end of the class, opinions were really divided among the students. There were some who came away saying, wow, you know, 15 weeks of Hitchcock uh, really like just I, I thought I liked Hitchcock coming in. But this really just amplified my appreciation of Hitchcock. That guy is a genius. And I really, really appreciate having encountered all these films some of them that i hadn't seen before but then there was also a healthy number of students who came away from the class hating hitchcock because they came away thinking wow seeing all of his films in this kind of compressed time frame and seeing them all like stacked against each other made me really realize how ugly the guy is uh, and how he gravitates toward really kind of sick themes and how uh, a lot of his really innovative techniques he just kind of is doing the same thing over and over again um i'm not i'm not reporting that as my opinion but it was interesting like it wasn't one or two people who came Mm -hmm. away thinking like wow hitchcock is overrated when you look at them all in sequence and you can see the misogyny um and and some of the uglier like really repressive dirty old man type stuff the perversion that's the seep through when you see the films in close proximity to each other which obviously and, isolates just a select number of qualities as opposed to looking at the entire <laughs> the, everything he's yeah. doing in his movies but yeah so, so I, I thought you might find that interesting like that's kind of the report that 
the, the, the reports I got from students who actually, uh, you know, got like a real hardcore exposure, 15 week long exposure to Hitchcock. That was kind of the, the split, split, uh, opinions among them. Yeah. That's I just thought, it, it's, it's why I generally don't like film students. I mean, there it is. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Take that for data. Yeah. Professors aren't so great either. <laughs> what are we doing? Um, well, that, uh, Abe, do you have any final thoughts on the birds? Uh, I would, I would recommend watching it if you haven't seen it. Uh, but I would recommend watching it with a group, not, not so that it's, uh, so you can have like a roundtable. Sure, you can have a roundtable discussion afterward. But I feel don't like don't talk about this movie after. Just watch it with friends and shut up. Yeah, but I no, feel like watch, it's watch a, it's a good and listen to this episode. And then... yeah, you could do that. Yeah, you could you could definitely do that. But I, I certainly feel like it, it's a good movie to watch with a group, especially if you've never seen it before, just so that you guys can uh, kind of have. A reaction. It, it's almost like uh, what we've been talking about recently with Annabelle Creation, where it's probably a better movie to watch with a, with an audience. Yeah. How was that, by the way? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I was not a fan of the first Annabelle. This one was a giant step forward. Uh, and even as far as the Conjuring films go in general in this universe, I think it's the most fun that I've had with one of these ones yet. So they pulled yeah. a Ouija? Yeah, they pulled a Ouija Origins of Evil. Yeah. Uh, they did exactly, exactly that to the T as far as bad first film. <laughs> fun uh, uh, director I'm keep my, keeping my eye on going on to the second one, and it turns out, and it's a prequel again, and it turns out to be pretty good. So, yeah. Not not recreating the wheel, but, you know, just really enjoyable to watch. So, so that's, okay. our, that's our review of Annabelle Creation. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, this, I think, has been a good conversation about the birds. Um, I, I've really enjoyed doing this, so thanks again to uh to what uh what's his name john vote john vote vote yeah. um for picking the movie i'm uh, glad we did pick it happy to revisit it happy to discuss it in full um and yeah mike thanks for uh you know, putting this idea forward for us yeah thanks yeah. for participating for sure uh, in our little contest and uh and you know having me on as always thanks for letting me prattle for sure um if you have any if any you listeners have any kind of responses or thoughts or Anything you want to kind of say to us about the the birds, our discussion today, or anything we talked about today, as far as Hitchcock or whatever else, uh, feel free to email us at outnotpodcast@gmail.com, or hit us up on Facebook, our Facebook page, facebook facebook.com/outnotpodcast, or even at Twitter at uh, twitter.com/outnotpodcast. Um, Additionally, yeah, if you're a student of Professor Mike Dillon and you want to just uh, you want to give him some feedback and then have us do this again, let him know. Um, you know, we'll be in touch. Yeah. In and if you are currently in one of my classes, make sure the feedback is good. Because payback's uh, <laughs> hey, a bitch. But yeah, no, in general, it's fun doing, you know, you know, looking back on films like this. Obviously, Abe and I, along with uh, Brandon Peters and various guests, we did talk about films every month in our commentaries, you know, older films of, from all over. Um, but mm -hmm. it's also have kind of a, just a general assessment without the, you know, the film playing in the background. It is going over all kinds of aspects of, uh, you know, what made this film what it is. Um, right, but yeah. With that said, uh, you can find more of my work outside of the podcast over at um, wisetheblue dot com and at thecodezeke dot com. You can find me at Twitter at Aaron's PS Four. Abe, you can find more fun stuff over at Oakley Doakley Instagram and Twitter dot com slash Wallerschmooze. And of course, all our regular episodes are on iTunes, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you can find podcasts. You yeah, we're that. on the internet. Uh, next week's show, we will be doing the conclusion to uh, the uh, summer gamble. Uh, the sixth annual summer gamble. Abe and I, along with plenty guests, uh, regular guests on the show, we've all participated in what we 
would participate in as far as determining what we think are going to be the top 10 highest grossing films of the summer at the domestic box office. Films made money, and some other films didn't make money this summer. So we're excited to see what the results are, because there's going to be one winner. Probably. There could be a tie. I don't know. Um, but it'll be <laughs> it'll be neat to go over those results, go and go over our general thoughts on the summer at the movies as well. Um, right. So yeah, that's that should be next week's episode. Uh, and then we'll figure things out going from there. I think It comes out the week after that. And uh, episode 300. Not Dave, looking forward to it. Episode 300, Dave. It's coming. It's, it's, it's arriving pretty soon. It's coming pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Mike, thanks again for joining us and having this discussion with us. Mike. Can I just throw out one one more comment? Just shout out to my students, and if they have any comments about the birds, they should tweet. <laughs> That's going to do it for this I, week's episode. I am out. <laughs> Until next time, so long. And goodbye. Goodbye.